0: got one life to live and whatever your beliefs are we're here right now what do you want how do you want to live your life
1: Welcome Closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season three on profit. I'm your host Jordan Wayla and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage a hundred units or a thousand, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level.
0: I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. We Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it.
1: Today, I'm talking with Justin Badgim the founder and president of Access Property Management Group in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Justin started buying property during the housing crisis but pretty quickly discovered a lack of professional management options, which led him to start his own shop. And today, Access Property Management is managing over 400 units with a highly profitable model that provides a lot of freedom for Justin. That's what we're going to be digging into in this episode. Welcome to the show, Justin.
0: Thanks for having me, Jordan.
1: Justin, I believe we met at the initial inaugural PM Grow Summit, at least in my, in my, my memory, served me correctly. That's how we initially got to know each other. And then our relationship kind of progressed when you were a part of the benchmarking study. This was the financial benchmarking study where we took 50 companies did a deep dive and scrubbed, sanitized all their data, had my guys spend a couple hours with you to see what's what in your books. And what came out of that was a 90-minute call in the backside where we just kind of looked at some some interesting phenomenon, let's call it within your business. And I'm grateful for you coming on the show today to be able to discuss some of this. But really, the, the thing I want to talk about is the freedom, the level of freedom that you have achieved in your business. And before we talk about numbers, let's just talk about actual experiential outcomes. How do you spend your time? What does your day to day involvement look like in access group?
0: I got to be honest, I've got a great team. It's not me. I mean, my involvement today is not uh, definitely what it was when I started the company. So I believe in giving people the tools, finding quality people, and then giving them the tools that they need, giving them the knowledge, information, and then getting out of their way, you know, and and helping them out. So my day-to-day responsibilities, I'm not inside of the business. An operational standpoint, uh, it's the strategic and support of our team.
1: When we first met, you were not living... In the same state as your business, which is like kind of a first like flag of like, hey, this is kind of different. How do you live in another state? From you're back now, but how do you go a year not being in the same state
0: as your business? Yeah, so that was kind of a pressure cooker. So let me back up here a little bit. You know, we started the business in 2008. We just hit 10 years anniversary. Super super excited about that. You know, for a lot of different reasons. I think it's a pretty pretty huge milestone that we're really proud of. One of the books that's very impactful for me was *E Myth Revisited* by Michael Gerber, and to me, that's a very systems based logic to business it's not that i just love property management business and real estate i love business i love the systems i love how they all works together And for me that's kind of what gets me jazzed up so you know, i see myself as kind of a tech geek slash business lover i guess i just love everything business i love legal accounting finance i mean all of it i love it i enjoy it it's something that i thrive on i think it's the chaos that keeps me going kind of like the military but we built the business to be run from anywhere in the country, to be run from an airplane, you know, a seat to do that stuff. And today, that's even worked itself even further out where we're basically at the point the only reason we have an office is for SEO purposes.
1: It's a virtual operation. You must have some pretty competent
0: team members then that you can really lean on to, to run this. For, for sure, for sure. And, that, and that's a secret. I mean, it's not about me, it's not about how good I am because truth of the matter is, you don't want me managing property.
1: So was this the goal from day one to not be involved in operations or did it just, did the opportunity arise and you took it? How did you get to that point?
0: Yeah, I I knew that I didn't want something to be a slave. I don't want to be a slave to the business. I didn't want a job. I, I knew that. I wanted to create something and I wanted that lifestyle. I think the biggest problem today is people just don't know what the hell they want. And I'm guilty of that too. And so we're all running around being really, really busy trying to grow our businesses, trying to get more doors going to all the conferences, you know, running for this office, running this, no organization, doing all the stuff that we think are the important things to do. But then you get there and you're kind of like, okay, am I happy doing this? And for me, just doing it day in and day out, it it brings me down. It it doesn't give me energy. It doesn't give me life. I mean, it's a suck. I'm not operating in my sweet spot where I can add the most value. So for me, it's it's doing the one-off things. If I'm doing something more than three times repetitively ever, I have to ask myself, why am I doing this? Can we create a system, a process somehow to automate that so I don't have to do it. And that's something I think that philosophy has held through the company over the last 10 years to a point where we've automated and systematized as much of the low value items as we possibly can. So that way, you know, our highly skilled, trained, quality people can actually like be on the phone talking to a real human being.
1: So I got to ask, man, like what's your take on the relationship to ego with achieving what you just said? Because you can see how an entrepreneur can get to a place where nobody is ever good enough. Nobody ever can ever do it as good as I can. Therefore, I have to stay in the business and keep bitching about it, even though I say I want that time freedom.
0: <laughs> that's insanity, right? I, I think it's insane to, for me, at least it is. And that doesn't bring me happiness. If that brings you happiness, if, if you want your, e- if your ego is number one, go ahead. You know, you, you can run for all the, all that stuff. And you can be on a stage talking like, personally, I don't need that. I'm very, I don't want to say comfortable. I don't, I don't like being comfortable. I think that's complacency. But I'm in a spot where I like the way that I dress. You know, I like t-shirts and jeans and sneakers. I don't want to have to be dressed up in khakis and spit shine shoes. It's just not me. It's not who I am anymore. I did do that. Absolutely. We did that to grow the business and get to where we needed to get to, to be respected in the marketplace. But I think you can infuse your own personality to your business. And we've done that. And we have fun. We have fun. What are you trying to accomplish and why?
1: Yeah, certainly. Great, great questions. Task. I think a lot of folks resonate with the idea of having more freedom. What I'm curious about is this chicken or the egg timing scenario. Do you say I'm going to exit the business and work really hard to get there, or do you force yourself to take a leap? Where were you at? How far down this path were you at when you decided to
0: move away? So, so, let me tell you. I was fried. I was just like anybody else at building business. I've done it all. Everything from accounting. Me and my wife, when we built this thing, we've done everything ourselves. Leasing, property management, getting new owners, doing tenants, evictions, doing the bookkeeping, doing, I mean, everything, every component, just like everybody else that starts these businesses does. I mean, we've done that. And then we brought in people. We had 10 employees at one point. And I'll tell you what, that turned into a full-time job of just managing the people. I'd be lying to you if I told you that that brought me enjoyment, because it doesn't. I came from a culture, the Marine Corps, where you just get done. They didn't see it that way. <laughs> And at first, you know, I thought I had leadership coming out of the military, but it was very uh, ironic that it was totally the wrong kind of leadership. <laughs> I think I figured it out. Went to an uh, entrepreneur leadership conference that really changed, changed my world, to be honest with you, on how to really lead and serve people. It got to the point where I was so fried that I was almost self-destructive in my own business. And what I mean by that, I was kind of like, I'm out. You know, like, I need a break. I need space. I got so sick of it where I actually put the company up for sale. And, and I did it for the reason of I wanted that experience as an entrepreneur, having started something, created something, matured something, and then exited something. So for me, it's, it made logical sense. Like, hey, let's just sell this. I'm ready for something different. I want to move on. There's more to life. Da-da-da-da-da. That would have been my number one biggest financial mistake ever in my life. So very glad that at the last minute, we were under contract, and we backed out of it the last minute. So Why you, would
1: why'd you back out? Well,
0: well, let me put it this way. The net we would have taken from that sale, I made in one year now. It's just that simple. If anybody's caught that, I think that there's a huge opportunity there. I think the valuation of a property management company is not in sync with what it should
1: be. I don't know if you, if you caught Tom Sedlak's talk at the last broker-owner where he was em- emphasizing all of the seller perks and seller benefits that are never factored into a traditional acquisition model, particularly with bigger shops right now that are coming in saying... This is our playbook. We're going to run you into our playbook, and only value based on the value you would create within our playbook. I agree that things are definitely out of whack there. So I love that you pulled out in the eleventh hour. There, you're back into the business. How long after that before you you physically move? And what was that transition like to to not be there?
0: Yeah. So actually, something really funny happens. Still can't believe it happened this way. But the the president of the company that was buying us actually came to work with us. And I didn't poach him, didn't steal him. It was, it was a very good relationship between who was purchasing our company. We're still friends today. But the president of her company was ready for a change. And so he came on board with us. And he's still been with us. It's been um, over three years now. And we restructured our arrangement as, as how we share profits, we started doing profit sharing with them, to give them some skin in the game. I think that arrangement, that reset has made all the difference for us and for our lifestyle. So I'd say that I've been out of the company probably for five years, but really it's really changed its own in the last three years with our new, with our new team, the way it's structured.
1: This time period where you're away from the office in many ways, it's just a, it's a forced constraint, right? Anybody that is running a property management company, doesn't want to move to a different state, could simply stop showing up to the office. If you wanted to, you could stop showing up to the office and just see what happens. Require your staff to be more autonomous, etc. Most folks aren't at that that place, but as a as a constraint and a forcing function to give yourself more space. For a lot of folks, it would probably be a good idea to do at least a couple of days a week. Fair.
0: Yeah. Hey, and we didn't just go like from me being there every day to also like I'm completely gone and moving to Texas, but. For us, we knew in advance, we had we had enough time, segue six months in advance, we knew we were going to Texas. So that really forced us, the last couple things to make us run remotely, we had to figure out. So the last thing for us, I think, was signing physical checks, which very seldom do we ever do a physical check anymore. And so we had to figure out, okay, what's a systematic approach that we can do this remotely and still having the checks and balances in place? And with technology, I mean, that stuff is an option today. That's, that's there. That's very feasible. It's happening.
1: I want to go through these step-by-step. Parts of how you got a business, how somebody would actually execute in this game plan. But before we do that, I want to give more financial context to describe the, the business model or the playbook that you are running. The biggest thing that stuck out of the scorecard that we did during the benchmarking study was seeing that your revenue per unit is low. Objectively, when I look across the country at the companies that we work with, it's a number that I would say is low and is actually fairly South of the $150 bright line that we typically establish as being kind of a danger zone. At the time that we performed this analysis, the, your revenue per unit was at $118. But what's fascinating is that your profit margins were well north of 30%. I'm going to talk about the exact amount, I'm sure it's different from, from where you're at now. But your revenue per unit. To frame this in a different way, was less than half of the top 25 percent that were averaging a profit margin of around 26 percent. Revenue per unit is half of what most companies need revenue-wise to generate a profit margin of 26 percent. How is that? How is that possible? Explain this. What's what's going on here?
0: Two things jump out at me. One is one is staffing. Second is you know physical office space. I think those are two huge money sucks. We had 10 employees. I wasn't making any money. That was the profit margin gone. You know, it goes into your staff at that point. And it's really about finding the right people. You find a solid team. For, for me, the secret was finding two great guys that we click with, that we share the same values and have that similarity of focus of what we're trying to accomplish. And we work together, we respect each other. I don't have a turnover. I haven't had staffing turnover, employee turnover in over three years. How many full
1: time staff do you have right now? Two. Two. You went from 10 to two. And it's actually, you went from probably more than 10 because you stepped out. Yeah. Okay, so labor-wise, when we look at a regular property management company with an average operating margin of 6%, if we remove the owner's salary, we've initially gained some, some efficiency. But that still seems like a, there's still a gap there. I mean, how do you go from 10 to two? And add doors and grow.
0: Yeah. The only thing I can say is just, Technology. We've really forced systems. I, th- I think one of the things early on that was key to our success back in 2008, we started. I have an actual love of technology. And I think that's very beneficial for us. I think building a cloud based infrastructure from very systems based approach has been key to our success, along with finding the great people to run those systems.
1: Let's talk roles. I want to hear about specific roles that were eliminated in going from 10 to 2 and the systems that replaced
0: them. What did you start with? We tried to do a maintenance company. And the truth, what I found for me is that starting a maintenance division is starting a whole new company. The difference between a property management personnel and a maintenance personnel, two totally different wavelengths, two totally different people, two totally different goals, aspirations, career desires. I don't relate to the maintenance side of things. I, I relate to the trades. I understand trades. I got out of the Marine Corps. started building homes back 2005, 2006. Before I started buying properties. So I understand that very well. But I don't understand something that doesn't have desires and goals for more in life. So for, for me, there's a huge disconnect there. So getting rid of that, we tried that. We lost $30,000 in a couple months. Realized that I didn't want to be running two different companies. It just wasn't what I wanted.
1: Now, did you do that initially more out of wanting to control service quality or because you thought it was going to be a significant revenue opportunity?
0: Both. both. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why part of it is because I was running around like everybody else at NARPM, looking at what else is doing and trying to do whatever else is doing. Right? NARPM is a great thing, but it's a catch-22. You have to be careful. There, there's the good things that you can take from it. But you can also find yourself in that trap of just following what everybody else is doing. And if you don't ask yourself why you're doing something, it doesn't make sense. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you better hit the brakes.
1: I agree. Well also if you don't understand the financial outcomes that are really being generated by that best practice, right? People aren't walking into an ARPA meeting with their, their PL wide open. There's a gap between concept and financial reality. You found that out with maintenance. So was that, that 10 number, was that including the labor associated with you running? A yeah, I
0: think we had three. I think we had three in maintenance. So we're down, to, we're down
1: to seven. I mean, that's six
0: figures right there.
1: What comes next? What was the next
0: significant meaty process? That you uh, here's why I think it's kind of a joke today. It's an office receptionist. Having someone in physical office presence drives me nuts. Like, what do we really need office presence for today? For walk-ins? I mean, it just doesn't happen. If we need to meet someone, we can meet them at the property. We can meet them at Starbucks or, you know, at a coffee place or a brewery for a beer. I mean, wherever we need to meet somebody, we can meet them there. We have everything that we need today with a phone, a computer, a laptop. We can have a hotspot anywhere.
1: So you have a physical office, but you're just saying
0: you make it a policy to not have people coming into the office. We do have a physical office inside an apartment complex that we own and manage. So... That's just a convenience factor for us, but we're like pushing ourselves on it. So we're open two days a week right now, currently, and we're in the process of completely cutting that out.
1: Got it. Okay. So this secretary admin position, I'm thinking about the things that person is doing. They're dealing with the in-person tenant or owner coming in the office. You're saying you just transition away from that. If you need to actually meet, do it offsite, do it somewhere else. What about the whole leasing process? Walk me through how you changed, how you handle that. Yeah, sure.
0: So that's kind of changing again as well, but we we outsourced it. So we had a full-time leasing agent, which I'll tell you killed me. And I bought two company vehicles, two brand new cars at employee, you know, driving around. The thing that's hard about leasing for us is in the summer they're getting slammed. You're you're burning them out, they're getting crushed. I mean, thousands of phone calls, emails. I mean, it's intense, right? Fall time, it starts to slow down for us in our area. So fall and winter is a very slow period of time where now they're twirling their thumbs. Now i got to find something for them to do. Like, oh my God, like you know this is back to that management issue of managing people. Instead of leading them, it's managing them. I'd rather lead than manage. That was a tough spot to be in. Just because they're out of the office, they're out of sight, out of mind. But how do you know what's getting done is getting done? So for us, we found a way to model an a per unit that's leased. And we outsource that to another professional real estate licensee who's doing our showings for us. Now we've gone a step further, and we're using we're using lockboxes. And that's something that's really intriguing to me. I think it's absolutely the future. If you've ever done a VRBO, you know, vacation rental. Yeah, totally. You don't want to meet someone at the property. I want everything done. To, I want to see the property when I want to see it. You think about it. You close your office at 5 o'clock. And most people that are working, that are going to be your tenants, they're working at 5 o'clock. So what's convenient for them and what's convenient for you are two totally different things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, when I think about the difference between Airbnb versus a, a more traditional setup, my expectation with Airbnb is that it's all seamless. I can do it all myself. If I'm having the interface with the human, that feels like the more traditional thing. And that wasn't what I signed up for. What about the one-off
0: scenarios? How far down this path are you? Have you like fully rolled that out? The outsourced leasing has been years. That's been several years and it's worked well. It has. The problem I'm seeing again, though, is my concern is once, you know, an email or a lead leads our system, it's hard to control. So it, it does come back to control, quality control for me. And so I want to bring that back in. And so with lock boxes, we have much more control of that process. And what, what vendor are,
1: solution are you using for that? Rently. And Rently has a couple of different tiers. Are you like full-blown like Rently Blue or are you just using the...
0: I, I couldn't tell you how to. I
1: <laughs> Not in the weeds on that
0: one. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, it comes back to Jordan. I, I come in, you know, I try to come in at least once a month. And I love our guys. I do. So I want to come in and support them. I see these phone calls coming in and in the middle of doing something. They're thinking but that phone rings. Every disturbance, that's 15 minutes of them trying to get back on track. I don't know about you, but when, when I'm in the flow, like I don't want anything interrupting me when I'm getting quality work done. And so it, it kills me. It pains me to see like these Sorry, but you see these stupid questions coming on the phone. It's already on the website. It's already there. It's like, okay, we got to find a way to take this out of of your hands. Not because you don't do it well. It's because you shouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the whole concept of the contribution that management can make. The business owner, when they get to the point that they can replace themselves and now they have a little more freedom, they've made some hires under them, they're supposed to be working on the business, rather than in the business, that that transition doesn't come with a guide or a manual for how to hold yourself accountable and how to earn your paycheck as a manager, right? So by default, maybe you're thinking about systems or processes, but if we really distill down the financial contribution and impact that the owner should be having in order to justify their existence as opposed to firing themselves, we don't think of it that way, but That is an option, right? You could go work on something else or work somewhere else. When I think about what that contribution looks like from the manager, it falls into a couple of buckets. You could either be driving growth, right? You're having a significant impact on the net number of doors managed. You could be increasing the unit economics, specifically the the revenue per unit. If you can find new ways to fee max, that's going to have a significant impact. You can be lowering costs, or you could be improving service quality such that it meaningfully impacts your churn rate. Those are concrete, tangible things. My question to you is, what is the gap between you being present and not being present? If you were to go back full-time and just wrap your arms around this business, do you think that you could justify the salary that you would be drawing? Or do you feel like that things are running well enough that it wouldn't justify you, you jumping back in?
0: I think if I came back full in, I think I'd probably push my guys out. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that they want me here. I mean, the joke is they welcome me in the office once a month. That's probably about it. And, and we have a great relationship, don't get me wrong. But they don't want me around here, and I don't want to be around here. They're, they're better without me being in their hair daily. And we still communicate with emails on a, on a consistent basis, for sure. It's not that I'm out of the loop. I'm not a absentee. Yeah, I'm not an absentee owner, for sure. For sure. You know, but I'm looking at things that are important to me and important to the growth of the business. So I see it as my responsibility to make sure that the, the business is viable and healthy financially. So that way they have income. They have security. Their family has housing and meals and shelter. All those things that they need that they're taking care of. And I, I got to tell you, we're making decent money. And it's not because I'm not paying our guys very well. I think that they're making very decent money today that I'm proud of paying them the numbers that we're paying them. And they, they fully deserve it. They've earned it. we structure this in a way that they're paid a base salary and everything else profit share.
1: Of their take home, what percentage would you
0: ballpark guess comes from base versus profit share? So we pay a base salary and then I share 9% per person. So we share 18% of our profits. You know, let's say
1: the person is taking home 100K, whatever the number is, what percentage do you think comes from
0: the base versus from that profit share? Do you have a gut feel on that? I'd say right now it's 60-40. In favor of the... Sellers 60, and it's very quickly coming to
1: 50-50. Got it. Okay, so let's talk about the who question. We can get into the weeds on the what and the how, but the who is what matters. How do you find a competent baller that is so good they can run it without you, and they may be a little annoyed if you come back and try and, and, and dabble in what they have working well?
0: So First off, I've, I've been... Uh, misled by the quote-unquote ballers, the guys that are very overly confident that come into your business that feel like, you no, know, they're the hot stuff and they're going to get it done. And I've had them embezzle for me. True story. You know, so I'm always very cautious of the person that comes in and starts running their mouth right away. Because for me, I need to come in and absorb. I need to be a sponge. I need to see how things are done before I can start making my own impact in the business. And so I'm always very hesitant. It's probably not the right fit for me if that's the person if they're coming with that attitude. But when they come in humbly, they start to understand and learn and then speak up and ask questions, be inquisitive, totally different page, totally different story, totally different person. You have to be teachable. You have to be hungry. You have to if you're not growth minded, if you don't have personal development, personal growth as part of your core philosophy of who you are, you will not work with me. It just won't work. We will be incompatible. I don't want to come here and just have a daily grind. That's not it. We got one life to live. And whatever your beliefs are, we're here right now. What do you want? How do you want to live your life? And that's the question that's very important to me. So I'm who I am. And I think by being who you are, being true to that, you're gonna attract other people that embrace the same values that you have. And it's okay to be different. They don't have to have all the same beliefs, all the same core values that I have, but we have to have enough. My last business partnership is a totally different business. Our values weren't aligned. And it wasn't a good it was not a good relationship. Our values weren't aligned and I wasn't willing to jeopardize who I am. Honestly, it came down to I wasn't willing really to jeopardize who I am for money. And so for me, that's not worth it. And so when you have those values aligned, you have the right people, it's fun. I mean, we go out for drinks together. We have quarterly meetings together. We enjoy being around each other. You know, like we're celebrating our wins. We're having fun. We're talking about, okay, what are we going to do when we hit our 500 units? We're going skydiving? Are we going to go rent some race cars and run around? We don't know what we're going to do, but we're going something
1: really cool. That's the
0: kind of culture that I want. And maybe I'm wrong or not. You know, like the language I use is a little bit different than some people. Like, if you're offended by my language, You're not a good fit for us, so it's a relational thing, right? The biggest problems in life come with hair on top or not, but you know what I mean. You know it of it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, man, I'm I'm picking up what you're laying down. So, for those of you listening at home, I'm thinking about it this way: Justin has a distinct personality, bias, former military guy, etc. And what I hear him saying is not that it's my way or the highway. I do it the right way and you're going to conform. What I hear him saying is, I am who I am. And the best thing that I can do is be honest about that and get in alignment with it and make sure that what I am asking of my team is actually going to be viable by making sure that there is mutual alignment. And so for somebody else that looks completely different, if you're doing an hour-long yoga flow session in the middle of the day with your staff, that whole thing is going to look differently, but whatever it may be. Being honest about where you're at and not taking on somebody else's guilt trip about how your business should be run is absolutely critical, whether that be a different financial model or a different leadership model. Be true to yourself. Let's talk about, from the opposite perspective, what that, that right who hire requires and where the profit share fits in. Could you do this without a profit share? Like How, how critical is that as a, as a motivating component?
0: It's critical to me. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why, Jordan. 2008, 2009, I had a, a very successful, wealthy individual take a chance on me and invested $2 million with us. We, we did an apartment complex. Still wanted to say it's been a great deal. But he always shared a percentage of the profits. I was like, huh, interesting, right? I mean, it's, it's equity, right? I guess the whole thing we're really talking about is equity, having an equitable interest. And to me, like, I don't work for money. I work for equity. Right, and so I want them. I want that same mindset to be with them, so that way, when they're managing my apartments, they're going to be paid on how that property performs financially, because that's how the investors are paid. That's how their investments calculate off of you know the profits. So it's all about profit. If we're not making a profit, we're not business guys. It's that simple. If the property is not making a profit, you're going to lose the property.
1: Oh, yeah, ownership is a mindset. You want them to have,
0: yeah, absolutely. Who, who, who wants to feel like just an employee? Mm-hmm. I, that, that, that logic just doesn't make sense to me. And so I'm not looking for those people. You know, I'm not looking for just an employee. I'm not looking for someone just looking for a paycheck. If you're looking for just a paycheck, you're not the right fit for me. Because I want long-term people. I want people that I can grow with. And I hope that these guys are guys I spend the rest of my life working and building something really cool with. I do. I, those are the type of people that I want. I'm a long-term guy, not a short-term. So, yeah,
1: so I'm certainly with you on the same page on that one. As I'm hearing what you're saying, I'm thinking about the ownership coming up in a couple of different ways. With your playbook, it makes sense to me why the financial ownership would be critical and make sense. In a different model, I can also see how ownership could come from being fully bought into the mission and the organization of the company. And maybe it has a much smaller financial component to it. In your situation where it's... um, Small, highly efficient model, kind of like the um, special forces, if you will, of of property management, where you're asking these guys to carry a lot of water and grow the business, by the way. How many units have you added within the last year Ballpark?
0: Uh, We're just shy of 100.
1: So the company is still growing. I mean, these guys are saddling.
0: But here's the thing, though. It it is growing. I was very particular about I didn't want to drown them with workload. And so I knew that if we're going to grow, I need to be very conscious of, of the workload that's on their shoulders. So as we take on more units, we've we've automated even more things. So they their time's the same. Nice. They're not getting drowned more down because I knew that'd be counterintuitive to growth. If they were worried that the more we took on meant the more suckiness that they're gonna have to deal with, you know, the more grind, the more hours, that, that's a hard thing to sell to them. But if I can sell to them that we can take on and grow and do it effectively without you know drowning you guys in labor and hours of work that has to be done, yes, there's a time onboarding, things might take a little bit more time initially, but This business, once it's set up and running, runs really
1: well. Mm -hmm. What are the
0: actual titles of these two individuals? They're both directors of property management. Got it.
1: Okay. And in terms of making the transition with these guys, did you hire them under the auspices of what they're doing now, or did they transition as the company transitioned?
0: One of them has been with us since pretty much the beginning. I think over the years, we might have butted heads a couple times and realized we both needed a break for short periods of time. But we ultimately came back together when we worked through, when I worked through realizing that I was being a jerk in certain areas. Maybe he was too, whatever. We, we matured past that stuff, right? And so one of us has been with us for a very long time. And then the other one's been with us for, I think, over three years now. And so the first one, that, that position just morphed. I think he's done everything too. You know, he was everything from leasing to property manager to uh, maintenance. Uh, business development, I mean all of it. except for accounting. Don't want him doing accounting. And then uh, the, the other guy was very strong on the number side. So I've got one that's very strong on the people side, management side, knowing the rules, how to how to how to manage property really, really well. He's been doing it for a really long time. The other one still knows how to manage it really, really well, but he's also got the financial background. He brings a different skill set into the into the company for sure.
1: Got it. Okay. I mean I'm still trying to wrap my head around how you're having two people manage close to four hundred units like give, give me more of the secret sauce here what are other people doing that to generate a six percent operating margin that you're not that allows you to generate a much higher operating margin
0: i don't know come have a beer list we'll tell you everything <laughs> <laughs> but but i'm serious you know think about this a second think about the productivity of someone who's very disgruntled if you have someone if you have one bad fruit in your company they could take the whole thing down no doubt sure attitudes financial productivity, you know, it's, it's a bad place to be, right? It's a very bad place to be. But when things click, when things are running, if it's, a low, if it's a repetitive task procedure, we look for a way to automate it. I don't know what else to say. Like we try to find systems and processes to automate it so that they don't have to do every single thing themselves. Everything has a, has a quality, quality control, I guess, component to it where it's measurable. Everything's measurable. Everything is there. We can, we, we can see it all, but we don't have to do it all that makes sense we can see it being done as that workflow happens but what they're doing it's they're directing they're guiding and then they're the biggest thing that they're doing the most valuable thing they're doing is on the phone the actual owners tenants that kind of stuff because that's, that's what matters today let's just gonna say everything's online right and that's great i mean you have to have the reputation and look reputable before people will trust you but once you do that like connecting with someone actually having a human relationship with them i think that's something that we've been missing the mark on i mean that human element it's End of the day, it's about it's about relationships. It really is. I mean, if, if I don't like you, I want not be here, right? if you don't like me, I probably wouldn't be here either, right? Same same way. But it comes down to people. It comes down to people. So tech is awesome, but you also have to add that element of of a human inside of it.
1: Do you want to network with other grade A entrepreneurs that are ready to talk more than simple day-to-day operations? Are you interested in expanding your business through cutting-edge sales, marketing, and growth strategies? If so, you need to be at the 2019 PM Grow Summit held in April in Austin, Texas. Check out at pmgrowtsummit.com. Learn what the difference is between hope and actual results. It's called taking action. That's what we do collectively at the PM Grow Summit by bringing in world-class speakers, world-class attendees. Get more information at pmgrowsummit.com. This is a great segue, the whole conversation of how, what, what is the point of deploying tech? Some people, I get the vibe or the impression that when they talk about tech, it's almost like it's a way to make the job go away, just to do everything. Some people are trying to use it to specifically reduce certain forms of labor, but you can't and you don't want to automate a way, a, a brand, a, a customer experience, a client journey Specifically, what does your tech stack look like with communication? What off-the-shelf PM software are you using? What tools are you using for workflow, et
0: cetera? Uh, We're using Propertyware. We have been for almost 10 years. I think we used Yardy for the first six months and switched to Propertyware. So long-term Propertyware customer. We're using Salesforce. I'd love to talk to other people that are using Salesforce. It's a really heavy application. Again, I kind of geek out. You have to be careful with tech that you don't... It can be the biggest time suck in the world. You can go down a slippery slope where you're trying to create this new system. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm guilty of having with that system for probably eight years, trying to make it you know, what it is today. So since we're just throwing vendors' names out there or whatever, I, I don't mind giving them plugs. They've done a great job for us with Planet Synergy. We've been using Planet Synergy for eight years, maybe six, seven years. And that's worked really well for us. You know, Google Drive, we use Google Apps. So we use Google Drive, Gmail. I mean, that's kind of our tech stack right there.
1: Got it. I want to hear more about the remote labor. Do you use any other remote labor other than Planet Synergy?
0: We do. We do. We're using my tenders. Got it. Okay. Then no full time remote VAs though. No. No. We we've looked at it. Even just recently, we've looked at we're looking at outsourcing one other thing. To me, it felt like it wanted a forty hour contract commitment. It felt like managing a person again, and and I didn't want that. The thing that I love about Planet Synergy is that they have employee turnover. That's a news problem. It's not my problem. And so we give them the process. We give them the workflow and they execute. And then we come into the office in the morning or, you know, log into our computers in the morning and and it's done. So that's ultimately what I care about. I'm not trying to remove the human side of, you know, what she's doing, but that's her business. That's not my business. So we focus on our business, which is the outward facing dialogue between owners and tenants.
1: Mm -hmm. So what are some of the use cases that you're getting a lot of leverage with Planet Synergy, for for example?
0: Data entry, invoices, bills. All the in-between messy stuff. Uh, There's all kinds of stuff, right?
1: You mentioned the E-word earlier, embezzlement. This is something that doesn't get a lot of airtime. It's not pleasant to talk about. And for fairly obvious reasons, internally with your staff, if you're talking about the fact that Oops, there's $100,000 missing. Wow, are we going to go out of business? With your clients, you must be incompetent. With your peers, same thing. Would you be willing to share? What was that experience look like for you? And how did you get past it, given that you stepped even further out of the business since then?
0: Yeah, so it happened pretty early on. I think it's year two or three. I hired that hotshot, the one that I thought he came from, the multifamily world. And I thought he's going to come and kind of run the company because I was already looking for a way to remove myself from daily operations. And it wasn't huge. I mean, it was five, $600, but it was cash. It was the, Oh, oops, I forgot to, you know, I took a deposit. I took this, I forget exactly what it was, a rent or somehow he took the cash in his pocket, like literally had to go back out to his car to get the money that he collected the week before. You know, it was, it was very obvious there. And he's like, okay, the light bulb went on. Like we're cashless. We're, we're doing away with cash. And it's still a threat, right? I mean, it's still a threat. I had another individual, another, another employee. Who I kind of mentored and nurtured, and, and he, he reminded me of me. He was hungry, he wanted to grow business. You know, I saw the same passions, and it kind of got me excited to share the things that I've learned over the years and all the conferences we've gone to. And then he stole from us. He stole all of our IP, he stole all of our lease agreements, our management contracts, every form, every email template, HTML template. He, he took our process for step by step how to run the company. And that hurt way hell of a lot more than someone taking $500, $600 from me. He
1: started a competing shop.
0: He tried to. Well, he did. He did. At first, I was so angry. He went to our attorneys because obviously he committed a crime. He's a thief.
1: You did not have a non-compete in place at that time?
0: We did. You did? Ah, you did. We did. did. And hey, I'm not looking to ruin someone. But here's the thing. I'm hungry. I wanted to grow a company. I wanted freedom. I wanted financial freedom. I wanted personal freedom. I wanted the freedom to travel, to live. I I wanted the freedom to be able to raise my kids right now. You know, so a lot of time I have my two-year-old on my lap. You know, that's what I'm doing a lot of my time. Some people want money so bad, they're willing to throw anybody under the bus at all costs. And to me, that is so against what I believe. You know, my heart's racing just thinking about it right now because he's still in this area. But once you sold your soul for that, man, what's left? That's just the scum of the earth. So, you know, shame on him. You know, everybody around my my area knows who it is, that individual. That's just the ultimate sin to me.
1: I feel the, the energy. I think anybody that's been wronged in some way from somebody that you've, you've mentored feels the same. Cool.
0: That was the part, you know, that hurts when it's malicious.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Particularly when, when it's theft of IP, your baby, any other advice on financial safeguards?
0: Know your numbers, you know, and it can still happen to me. I mean, know your numbers and, and we, we look through our numbers a lot. I mean, at least monthly, we're looking at stats. We're looking at financials, you know, cash flow, P and L balance statement, all those things. You need to know accounting. The numbers tell a story.
1: Do you handle all your accounting in, in-house? Do you have an outside CPA, CFO?
0: We do have a CPA, but that's for tax planning and strategy and, and tax filing purposes, mostly.
1: Got it. So you're the one. It still comes down to you then manning the ship in terms of financial scrutiny. Well,
0: well yeah, but think about it this way. If, if you're taking online rent payments, it's integrating into your system. Your accounting is being done for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, here's the other person. We used to have a full-time accountant making $45,000 a year. You don't need one today. There's no reason to have an accountant. So now when people pay us with checks, it's a burden to us to have a physical check. I don't want you to pay online because the, the ledgers are automatically updated through technology. But if there's a paper check, someone could take it, it could be lost. You know, if it's a money order, you, you have the potential of theft and da, 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 da. So we want everything being paid online.
1: So you err on the side of just going all in on a policy change like that. You're not accommodating the.
0: We, we charge $5 per check that we have to manually enter today. We gave everybody a heads up, we gave them a warning, we gave them plenty of time. There's so many other ways that they can pay and it's very easy to do today.
1: And just put a little tax on the things you don't want to be happening.
0: Well, you incentivize people to act the way that you want them to act. Always. Yeah, absolutely. Like most, most people follow. They just need to be led. Most people just need to be led what to do instead of, instead of figuring out for themselves.
1: So let's close with this, Justin, what is your advice for somebody that hears this interview and thinks, man, Good for that guy, but I'm just, I'm in it, man. I'm so busy. I'm stuck. You know, if you only knew, if you only knew what I'm dealing with day to day, I'd love to have that kind of freedom, but I just don't know how it's possible. How does somebody start this process and, and get out of the quicksand?
0: Well, the first thing is you got to pull your head out of the sand. And so that, that's really an excuse. It's really a cop out. Say, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do this. I can't do this. It's really BS. It's really that person giving you an excuse. So the truth is going back to what I said earlier, like I'm guilty of it too. Most of us just don't really know what we want. So take a day off, go out in the woods, go for a hike, go do whatever you want to do. And just think about like what do I really want. I'm not just talking about the business, I'm talking about life, right? Cause they're both the same thing. And so once you know what you want, things happen when you're clear, when you're crystal clear in what you want, which is the hardest, I think that's the hardest work that we can do as business owners and, and people just in life in general, which is why we avoid it. Well, <laughs> oh, right. That's why we number ourselves out. I mean, it, I go to the gym, I'm working out, I see this woman walking on the track on Facebook, scrolling the whole time, never put her head up, and it drives me nuts, you know, just totally sucked into that world of like, drives me nuts. Just figure out what you want, just think about it, like, and it doesn't have to be like the grand plan, like, what I want today, like, if it's getting out of the business, like, okay, how can I do that? What is, work backwards, what are the steps that need to happen? You know, go find that person that's doing that thing that you want to do, buy them a beer, coffee, lunch, whatever, start picking their brain, there's nothing wrong with that. People that have succeeded that are, that are, people that are wealthy, successful, I've found that they're very generous, that they're willing to They don't have a scarcity mindset. And if they do, just move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: no doubt. You know, when we talk about knowing what you want, what comes up for me is realizing that for some folks, having a well-paid job is what they want. And that's okay. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's great if you're being compensated well. It's not great if... You have no profit and a, a low income and a stressful job. That's not great on, on any playbook, more or less. So if you don't ever want to manage people and you don't want to do the task of operationalizing sales marketing and running a 100 well-run, high-quality doors in a high-authority, high-autonomy situation is the best possible outcome for you. Then accept that and optimize accordingly. I love the overall theme of getting in alignment. We're going to close with the same question I ask every single guest, and that is this: Justin, in your opinion, are entrepreneurs born or bred?
0: Uh, It's both. You know, I think it's another both. There's got to be a hunger inside of you. Here's the thing: like, I I never knew that business was even a viable option until I read one book. And I read this book coming back on a Navy ship, coming back from Iraq in 2003. And it was first Dad, Poor Dad. I'm like, oh my God, that book like, changed like, what was possible for me. It opened my eyes. I never knew that was possible. So I, I believe I had a hunger inside of me for more, but I had to keep learning and growing. And for me, it's, it's been conferences and education and reading all the books. I didn't read my first book until I was 21 years old. It's embarrassing, right? But I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it created this hunger. I've read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of business books since then, you know, because I devoured them. I was hungry. I was hungry right. for that for more so i I think it's both
1: all right we're gonna have to keep keep exploring this topic are we gonna see you in uh in austin at pm grow
0: absolutely this will be the third year and uh looking forward to it man
1: all right my man hey if anybody wants to find out a little bit more about access what's the best place for them to go
0: yeah it's google access property management group grand rapids will come up and uh with live chat contact forms get in touch with us and uh be happy to help maybe help you guys out into some questions beautiful. All right. Hey,
1: thanks for coming on the show.
0: See you thanks, in Austin.
1: Austin. See you Austin. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show. And the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group, where we mastermind with the best in the industry.